Welcome to the Communique podcast. The objectives of the Communiques are to develop, produce and distribute electronic educational publications that encourage clinical practice to change for the benefits of patients, residents, health and aged care services and the whole community. Over half of our subscribers attribute a change in their clinical practice due to the Communique. The print versions in these podcasts present cases of premature and preventable deaths that occur in health and aged care settings. We explore three areas. What happened? Why did it happen? And what action can we take to prevent it from happening again? The cases are the accounts from the completed medico-legal death investigation of the coroner's court and our team of senior medical and nursing practitioner present this coronial information in a manner and format that is familiar to clinicians. Our three publications are the Clinical Communique, focusing on acute care, the Future Leaders Communique, designed for recent health graduates, and the Residential Aged Care Communique, which examines deaths in aged care or nursing homes. The online print versions are available at our website, thecommuniques.com, which also includes the resources recommended for each edition. Welcome to this podcast titled The Perils of Carbon Monoxide, where we are drawing on the content from the March 2021 print edition of the Clinical Communicate. I'm Dr. Nicola Cunningham, the Editor-in-Chief of this series. In this podcast episode, we'll hear about deaths due to unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning. It's a gas we've all heard of. Most of us know it's colourless, odourless, tasteless and not good for you. But how many of us truly know where the risks of exposure lie? And as clinicians, how many of us think of carbon monoxide poisoning as a differential diagnosis for certain presentations? So the key is detection. Detecting the presence of gas in an enclosed space and detecting carbon monoxide toxicity in a patient if and when it does occur. The editorial in this episode brings these issues to the fore and introduces a number of important coronial recommendations that have been made following carbon monoxide deaths. We then have two case summaries for you, one from Tasmania and one from Victoria, that describe cases of unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning that occurred in different settings. A new feature in this episode allows us to highlight a few more cases of unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning, which really serves to demonstrate the wide variety of ways in which toxic exposure to carbon monoxide can occur. The cases are followed by our expert commentary. This is from a specialist in intensive care and emergency medicine who's put together an excellent overview of the health risks of this environmental hazard. Before we move on to the editorial, it's worth briefly mentioning how toxic levels of carbon monoxide are measured and reported, as you will hear these units being referred to in the cases that come up. Firstly, carbon monoxide levels may be measured and reported as a percentage of carboxyhemoglobin in blood. On average, normal concentrations of, of carboxyhemoglobin in non-smokers are about 0 to 2%, with baseline concentrations going up to 10% in smokers. Alternatively, you may hear carbon monoxide exposure levels being sometimes referred to as parts per million as a measurement of the number of molecules of carbon monoxide in air. The recommended upper level for atmospheric carbon monoxide in an enclosed space is less than 5 parts per million. Now at low levels of exposure, carbon monoxide may cause poor concentration, memory and vision problems and loss of muscle coordination. At higher levels, it causes headaches, drowsiness, nausea. 
At very high levels, the symptoms intensify and can be life-threatening within hours to minutes. You can go to our March 2021 print edition of the Clinical Communicate to see a table that summarizes levels of carboxyhemoglobin and environmental exposure in parts per million and how they correspond to adverse health effects of carbon monoxide. Let's now listen to Luke Ward narrate the editorial. Welcome to our podcast based on the March 2021 edition of the Clinical Communique. In this podcast episode, we will hear about deaths due to carbon monoxide poisoning, a gas produced by the incomplete combustion of carbon-based compounds. Carbon monoxide is often referred to as the silent killer because it is colourless, odourless, tasteless, non-irritating and extremely toxic. Carbon monoxide poisoning is an entirely preventable illness and if identified early enough, it is wholly reversible. This edition includes an editorial by Dr Nicola Cunningham, case number one, a poisonous adventure, case number two, the paradox of negative pressure, more on the matter by Dr Nicola Cunningham, outing the problem, and an expert commentary by Dr Matthew Spotswood on carbon monoxide toxicity, a concise and practical overview of the pathophysiology clinical features and treatment of patients with carbon monoxide toxicity. Editorial from Dr. Nicola Cunningham. Carbon monoxide is known as the great imitator for its toxicity produces signs and symptoms that can be attributed to many common disease processes. It has been estimated that carbon monoxide exposed to patients presenting to emergency departments are misdiagnosed in 30 to 50% of cases. This represents a substantial number of missed opportunities to prevent vulnerable patients or their families and friends from returning to potentially lethal environments. Thus, the lessons from the case described in this edition are twofold. Firstly, they serve as a timely reminder to clinicians to consider the potential for toxic gas exposure when a patient presents with a vague constellation of symptoms, especially where others close to them, including pets, have reportedly fallen ill as well. Secondly, they reiterate an important public health message about the use of gas appliances, particularly as the winter season approaches. Portable generators, charcoal burners, wood heaters, gas heaters, hot water systems and stoves have all been implicated in carbon monoxide related deaths. As is demonstrated, the risk of unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning with gas appliances increases with faulty installation, inappropriate use, inadequate maintenance, and poor ventilation. In this episode, we have two new case summary authors, Miss Melanie Gordon and Dr Janine Rouse, who each contribute important insights on carbon monoxide poisoning. In addition to these case summaries, we have a new feature section of the clinical communique titled More on the Matter, where we present case vignettes that demonstrate the wide-ranging scenarios where toxic exposure to carbon monoxide may occur. From recreational activities such as boating, caravanning and scuba diving, to daily activities such as cooking, showering and using refrigerator units, the risks remain ever-present. Our expert commentary is by Dr Matthew Spotswood, an intensivist and emergency physician who has compiled a concise and practical overview of the pathophysiology, clinical features and treatment of patients with carbon monoxide toxicity. In his commentary, 
Dr. Spotswood deftly highlights a number of pitfalls and recommendations with regards to the assessment and management of these patients. Limitations in coding data make it difficult to know the true number of deaths due to unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning in Australia each year. Between 2011 and 2016, there were 15 deaths reported across Australia that were clearly attributed to using gas and solid fuel appliances in confined spaces without adequate ventilation. It is likely that there are greater proportion injuries and health problems related to carbon monoxide poisoning that are near misses and remain unreported. Despite the existence in most Australian jurisdictions of coronial findings focused on unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning, the potential dangers remain somewhat unknown or underestimated in residential and recreational fields. There are common themes to the comments and recommendations made by coroners in such cases. Namely, introduce mandatory installation of hardwired carbon monoxide detection alarms in residence, boats and caravans where gas appliances are either permanently fixed or portable appliances are likely to be used. Perform all installations by licensed gas fitters to ensure compliance with the relevant regulations and safety standards. Conduct regular servicing of gas appliances. Never use gas appliances in enclosed spaces and always keep vents free of obstruction. The Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week is an annual national event run by the Chase and Tyler Foundation to raise awareness of fuel burning appliance safety across Australia, reducing illness, injury and death by unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning. Carbon monoxide poisoning is an entirely preventable illness and if identified early enough, is wholly reversible. It is imperative that clinicians and the general public learn to identify and mitigate the potential environmental hazards and recognise the signs and symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning to keep patients and those around them safe. Let's now listen to the case from Tasmania. Case number one, a poisonous adventure from Case Pracy author Melanie Gordon, registered nurse and quality manager at Epworth Healthcare. Clinical summary. Mr. GB and Mr. BD, along with their friend, Mr. BL and Mr. BL's young daughter, commenced a short sea trip in a double B boat they jointly owned. On the first night, the boat was anchored in a bay with all four persons on board. Close to midnight, Mr. BL's daughter began fitting. Mr. BL made an emergency call to triple zero and his daughter was retrieved by helicopter and taken to a large metropolitan hospital. Following blood tests and a period of observation in hospital, Mr. BL's daughter was discharged into the care of her parents with a plan for a follow-up CT brain scan. She did not have a prior history of seizures. Mr. GB and Mr. BD continued the voyage to their destination, arriving the following evening at a mariner where they intended to moor and spend the night on the boat. Mr. GB called his wife to let her know about their plans and Mr. BD invited Mr. BL to come on board and bring some alcohol. Mr. BL declined to join them. When Mr. BL arrived at the mariner the next morning, he was unable to raise either of the men by phone. Mr. BL sought the assistance of the mariner owner 
and assessed the boat, where he found both men dead in the cabin. Emergency services arrived quickly at the scene, and one paramedic reported feeling lightheaded after being in the cabin of the boat. Fire personnel also attended due to concerns about gas, and it was noted that no smoke detector or similar device was fitted in the cabin. Pathology. Following toxicological analysis of blood samples taken from Mr. GB and Mr. BD at autopsy, it was found that Mr. GB had a carbon monoxide saturation level of 59%. The same analysis found alcohol to have been present in GB's body at the level of 0.149 milligrams per 100 ml of blood. Mr. BD had a carbon monoxide level of 69%, with an alcohol level of 0.187 milligrams per 100 ml of blood. Investigation. Investigations revealed at the time that Mr. GB contacted his wife, there was no mention of either men feeling unwell. However, Mr. BD had sounded intoxicated during the call he made to Mr. BL a few hours later. In light of the toxicological findings, the coroner was satisfied that the cause of deaths were carbon monoxide poisoning and their cases did not proceed to inquest. With alcohol concentrations at the levels found in both men, the alcohol consumption would have masked the effect of carbon monoxide concentration. There would have been a critical loss of judgment, coordination, impaired balance, sedation and sleep. Symptoms common to both carbon monoxide poisoning and alcohol intoxication. Further investigation by an officer of Marine and Safety Tasmania found the source of the carbon monoxide was from a portable power generator which had been bought and installed by Mr. GB and Mr. BL in the starboard aft machinery space area, which was an enclosed but not an airtight space. The generator was in an enclosed space and was connected to a long homemade extension pipe that had a defect in it. The pipe was fitted to the muffler, which was obstructed on the end by a shower fitting. Investigators determined that the obstructed muffler would have created back pressure on the makeshift exhaust system, propelling exhaust gases into the machinery space area and into the cabin. The hole in the piping would have also allowed gases to escape into those areas. One final area of investigation following the deaths of Mr. GB and Mr. BD was a review of Mr. BL's daughter's blood. Toxicological analysis revealed that high levels of carbon monoxide were present in her blood at the time she presented to hospital with a seizure. Coroner's findings. The coroner found that Mr. GB and Mr. BD died as a result of carbon monoxide intoxication due to inhalation of exhaust from a petrol generator on a boat. The coroner deemed both deaths to be entirely avoidable due as they were to a poorly installed and maintained petrol-driven generator and the absence of any device to warn us to the presence of carbon monoxide in the cabin. The coroner recommended that all petrol-driven generators only be used in accordance with manufacturer's recommendations and in particular should not be installed in a confined space and should not have the exhaust system modified in any way. In addition, the coroner recommended that all boats with enclosed cabins which have petrol-driven motors of any type installed be fitted with a carbon monoxide detector. Importantly, there was no blame attached to those involved with the medical care of Mr. BL's daughter. In the absence of any clinical history or any reason to consider carbon monoxide poisoning, 
the coroner acknowledged that it was not reasonable to have expected that diagnosis to have been made when she presented to hospital with fitting. Author's comments. As we head into autumn and winter, it becomes increasingly important to be aware of the systems of carbon monoxide poisoning since more cases present during these seasons compared to spring and summer. The cases of Mr. GB and Mr. BD are not uncommon, with carbon monoxide being one of the leading causes of unintentional poisonings each year. Therefore, it is invaluable for clinicians to have an index of suspicion for environmental poisonings, particularly in the winter months. Let's now listen to the case from Victoria. Case number two, the paradox of negative pressure. Case Pracy author, Dr. Janine Rouse, Senior Clinical Forensic Medicine Registrar and General Practitioner. Clinical Summary. Miss S was a 62-year-old woman who was active and in generally good health with a history of diabetes mellitus, osteoporosis and arthritis. Miss S lived alone in a public housing unit. In the month prior to her death, Miss S felt unwell and attended a general practitioner who organised a series of blood tests that were not completed. Miss S was found deceased in her home, having last been seen alive the day prior. On entry into her unit, intense heat was noted and the gas heater was on high. It was apparent she had a shower just prior to her collapse. A saucepan was burning on low heat on the stovetop in the kitchen. Pathology. Following an autopsy, Toxological analysis of Miss S's blood detected an elevated carboxyhemoglobin level of 64%. No other drugs or poisons were detected. The forensic pathologist determined Miss S's cause of death to be carbon monoxide toxicity. Investigation. An inquest was held to examine the circumstances of Miss S's unexpected death. The court heard that a carboxyhemoglobin level of 64% would indicate high environmental concentrations of carbon monoxide, with death occurring almost immediately. The likely source of carbon monoxide was thought to be a 25-year-old open fluid gas heater in Miss S's unit. The inquest focused on risk mitigation and prevention opportunities, given the potential safety issues relevant to the broader community. Issues explored at inquest included the cause and extent of carbon monoxide spillage from the heater, maintenance and service history of the heater and the existing regulatory system. Miss S was described as a person who always used the exhaust fans in the bathroom and kitchen when showering and cooking respectively. This was likely the case at the time of her death. Testing in Miss S's unit revealed that with exhaust fans operating and with external doors and windows closed, a negative pressure environment was created. Negative pressure is of relevance in drawing air back down the flue of the heater into the room, taking with it the byproducts of combustion, including carbon monoxide. Additionally, Miss S's unit had been upgraded since the heater installation, including seals on doors and aluminium framed windows. Vents installed vented mainly to a sealed roof space without adequate ventilation to the atmosphere. The maintenance and service history of the heater was explored in detail. Despite servicing, the open fluid gas heater was found to spill carbon monoxide into the living space when tested whilst the kitchen and bathroom exhaust fans were turned on. Furthermore, 
all heaters of the same type installed in the other units at the complex also failed spillage testing when the exhaust fans in those units were in operation. Expert witnesses reported that although open fluid gas heaters may have complied with design standards at the time of their installation, a significant risk currently exists. With the increasing energy efficiency of Australian homes, as well as the use of more powerful internal exhaust fans, a deadly environment may result with open fluid gas heaters in operation. The coroner investigated the lack of mandatory continuous professional development for gas fitters, as well as the lack of awareness of modifications to relevant standards of carbon monoxide testing methods. Coroner's findings. The coroner found that the source of the toxic level of carbon monoxide was the open fluid gas heater in Miss S's unit. A combination of factors were deemed to have contributed to her death. Lack of adequate ventilation and failure of the heater's draft diverter in a negative pressure environment created by other exhaust fans operating ultimately resulted in lethal levels of carbon monoxide being introduced into the room air. The coroner made eight recommendations, the first being that open fluid gas heaters be phased out across Victoria. Some of the other recommendations focused on Targeted information dissemination for the community, focusing on the dangers of open fluid gas heaters, particularly in conjunction with negative pressure and insufficient ventilation. Improved testing of carbon monoxide leakage. Improved compliance systems to assure quality of heater servicing is in line with industry standards. A system of mandatory continuous professional development be considered for gas appliance plumbers and fitters. Improvements in information dissemination of changes to industry standards to relevant stakeholders. Author's comments. The warning signs of life-threatening carbon monoxide poisoning can be subtle and include a constellation of non-specific symptoms which have multiple possible causes. This presents a challenge for clinicians assessing undifferentiated patients, particularly when differential diagnoses, such as flu-like viral syndromes, migraines and depressions, may be more frequently encountered. Awareness of the symptoms of carbon monoxide toxicity by medical practitioners may lead to the uncovering of a history of potential exposure and prevention of a lethal outcome. Miss S was a mother and a grandmother and, as the coroner acknowledged, there is nothing to relieve the grief endured by her family. The significant number of coroner's recommendations across both promotional, educational and regulatory domains is a powerful reminder of the important function of the coronial process in improving systems in order to prevent deaths in similar circumstances. More on the matter. Outing the Problem, from Dr Nicola Cunningham, Emergency Physician and Forensic Physician, Adjunct Associate Professor at the Department of Forensic Medicine, Monash University. Charcoal Briquettes. Mr AM was a 43-year-old man who was cooking with charcoal briquettes on the veranda of his apartment. He then transferred the tray containing the burning briquettes into the apartment for warmth. He was later discovered deceased in his apartment. At autopsy, Mr. AM's blood concentration of carbon monoxide was 61%.
It was also found to have significant but previously undiagnosed coronary artery disease. The apartment he lived in was situated beneath a flight path of a nearby airport, so had been insulated to minimise noise pollution, which also reduced the inflow of fresh air. Mr AM's cause of death was carbon monoxide poisoning, LPG in a caravan. Mr TB was a 39-year-old man who was found deceased in a caravan along with two other men also deceased. The three were friends who had travelled to a reserve to set up camp for a weekend. They were found the next morning by a fourth man, a friend who had also joined them for the weekend but had brought along his nine-year-old child, so had chosen instead to sleep with his child in a nearby tent. Investigations into the men's deaths revealed that the caravan belonged to Mr TB and had been refurbished by him a couple of years earlier. The vents in the cladding of the caravan did not align with any ventilation openings in the refurbished lining and all its windows and doors had new seals in place. The roof vent was in a close position. A portable outdoor refrigerator that had always been kept outside the caravan when in use was found inside the caravan connected to a 4.5 kilogram LPG bottle and turned on. The gas bottle was also connected to a two burner gas cooktop and a leak was found in the connector tubing prior to the cutoff valves for the cooktop. A pillow was resting on top of the ventilation grates on the refrigerator. Testing confirmed that it within the sealed caravan with only the portable refrigerator in operation. The carbon monoxide level after 75 minutes was 353 parts per million and would have been 1,200 parts per million after four hours. The coroner found that the men's deaths were due to unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning while sleeping in a caravan with a portable gas-operated refrigerator in operation. LPG in a yacht. Mr NB was a 23-year-old experienced sailor who had planned to spend a weekend on his yacht with his girlfriend. After a night and a day together on the yacht, his girlfriend woke feeling confused and unwell. She managed to call for help and when emergency services arrived, she was in critical condition and Mr NB was already deceased. The investigation into the incident found that all the hatches on the yacht were sealed shut and an LPG stove appeared to have been turned on during the night to keep the cabin warm. Post-mortem toxicological analysis showed that Mr NB had a carboxyhemoglobin level of 60%. At inquest, the court heard that Mr NB and his girlfriend would have felt increasingly lightheaded, dizzy, nauseous and fatigued as the carbon monoxide level rose and their capacity to reason and problem solve would have been progressively impaired. Mr NB's cause of death was carbon monoxide poisoning caused by the incomplete combustion of LPG from the burner in the sealed cabin. Scuba diving cylinders. Mr. AT was a 44-year-old recreational diver who had completed over 300 dives. He spent a day on the water with a group of experienced divers from their scuba club using cylinders he had filled with the club's compressor. The environmental conditions were considered perfect for diving that day and his first dive was uneventful. 10 minutes into the second dive, he indicated to his dive partner that he felt unwell and intended to surface. His partner lost sight of him during the ascent and he was not seen again until his body was retrieved from the seabed the next day. Data from Mr. AT's dive watch established that shortly after 12 minutes, 
he had been close to the surface for less than 30 seconds, after which time he had descended to 29 metres, where he remained. High levels of carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide were subsequently detected in his dive cylinder. Autopsy findings were subarachnoid haemorrhage and a carboxyhemoglobin level of 56%. An expert in diving and hyperbaric medicine considered that the haemorrhage was a consequence of severe carbon monoxide toxicity, and even if rescued prior to his final descent, Mr. AT may have suffered irreversible damage. His cause of death was listed as carbon monoxide toxicity, which caused fatal drowning. Cylinders from the scuba club were seized and tested and found to contain varying levels of contaminants. Mr. AT's second dive cylinder had 2,366 parts per million of carbon monoxide. The source of contamination was determined to be the electrically powered air compressor at the club that had been poorly configured and maintained. Club members were unaware of the potential risks of contamination when using air compressors to fill their dive cylinders. A converted water tank for a bathroom. Miss HP was a 47-year-old woman who visited a rural property with her husband and two sons. The on-site accommodation was infrequently used and had a converted concrete water tank for a bathroom. The night they arrived, Miss HP's sons went to have a shower, spending approximately 15 minutes in the bathroom. Her husband showered next, spending another 15 minutes in the bathroom. Miss HP followed but never left. Her husband found her unresponsive on the bathroom floor, approximately 15 minutes later, with the shower and the sink tap still running. He pulled her out of the bathroom, but she could not be revived. Investigations into her death found that the gas water heater in the bathroom was at least 45 years old and had been installed without a hood or funnel. A metal plate was attached to the top of the heater inside of a flue, which led to the production of high levels of carbon monoxide in the poorly ventilated room. The cause of death was carbon monoxide toxicity. Let's now listen to the expert commentary by Dr. Matthew Spotswood. Expert commentary, carbon monoxide toxicity, from Dr. Matthew Spotswood, intensivist and emergency physician, Department of Critical Care Medicine, Royal Hobart Hospital, Tasmania. Carbon monoxide is a colourless, odourless and tasteless gas formed during the incomplete combustion of carbon compounds. Common sources include fires, engine exhaust systems and faulty gas or combustion heating or cooking appliances. Carbon monoxide therefore has the potential to be present in the majority of households, especially during the colder months when heaters are being used and rooms are less ventilated. Carbon monoxide exposure occurs in three main circumstances. One, intentional self-poisoning. Two, occupational exposures due to fires or the operation of machinery in confined and poorly ventilated spaces with industries at a greater risk being mining, firefighting and fishing. And number three, accidental exposure from faulty or poorly installed heating and cooking devices. The two case summaries in this edition of the clinical communique 
describes two such unintentional poisonings attributable to faulty installation and inadequate ventilation. Pathophysiology. Once inhaled, carbon monoxide binds with high affinity to haemoglobin, displacing oxygen and reducing oxygen carrying capacity, particularly in hypoxic environments. Carbon monoxide diffuses into extravascular tissue and interrupts mitochondrial respiration by binding to and inhibiting heme proteins responsible for production of adenosine triphosphate, also known as ATP, slowing down oxidative phosphorylation and generating oxygen-free radicals, causing intracellular damage. The organ systems most affected by this state of oxidative stress and cellular inflammation are those most reliant on ATP synthesis, namely the cardiovascular and central nervous systems. The patient groups most at risk include the elderly, those with chronic ischemic cardiac and respiratory disease, and the fetus due to the relatively hypoxic fetal circulation and the increased affinity for carbon monoxide of fetal haemoglobin. Diagnosis. Symptoms, therefore, commonly include headache, dizziness, fatigue, nausea, vomiting, altered mental state, chest pain, breathlessness, and loss of consciousness. It must be noted that these are non-specific, and therefore the context of the presenting history becomes paramount in raising clinical suspicion of carbon monoxide toxicity as a diagnosis. The diagnosis is confirmed by measuring elevated carboxyhemoglobin levels in blood. Most modern point-of-care blood gas analyzers include cooximetry and routinely report carboxyhemoglobin on an arterial or venous blood gas printout. A normal carboxyhemoglobin level is considered to be less than 2% in non-smokers and less than 5% in smokers, although some heavy smokers may have a baseline exceeding 10%. It is important to note that conventional pulse oximetry cannot distinguish between carboxyhemoglobin and oxyhemoglobin, and that a so-called normal oxygen saturation reading may mask significant carboxyhemoglobin levels or miss profound hypoxia. Clinical syndromes. Carbon monoxide toxicity occurs across a spectrum of severity, ranging from mildly symptomatic to critically ill with rapidly progressive brain injury and cerebral edema, requiring intensive care unit management. The predictors of short-term mortality are metabolic acidosis with a pH of less than 7.2, loss of consciousness, need for endotracheal intubation, fire as the source of carbon monoxide inhalation, and high carboxyhemoglobin levels. The level of clinical severity does not necessarily correlate with the measured carboxyhemoglobin level. Cardiac effects occur in up to one-third of carbon monoxide poisonings and can manifest as myocardial ischemia, QTC prolongation, cardiac arrhythmias, cardiac failure, and cardiogenic shock. The risk of myocardial infarction is increased both acutely and long-term. Neurologic manifestations can be divided into the acute brain injury and the development of long-term neurocognitive symptoms such as impaired memory, anxiety and depressive symptoms, vestibular and balance problems, Parkinsonian-like syndromes, peripheral neuropathies and cognitive impairment. These symptoms become evident by six weeks post-exposure 
and may persist for years. The severity of the initial poisoning episode does not clearly correlate with the development of these symptoms and they may occur in settings of low-level chronic exposures. Other clinical syndromes include rhabdomyolysis due to carbon monoxide binding to myoglobin and causing tissue hypoxia. Treatment. The overarching principle of treatment lies in removing the patient from the exposure and providing organ supports as clinically indicated. Specific treatments involve the delivery of 100% oxygen to promote the rapid removal of carboxyhemoglobin. The half-life of carboxyhemoglobin in adults breathing room air at sea level is five to six hours, which is reduced to approximately 80 minutes by breathing 100% oxygen. This can be further reduced to 22 minutes by the delivery of hyperbaric oxygen at three atmospheres. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy also may play a role in reducing mitochondrial dysfunction, reducing inflammation, and decreasing the incidence of long-term neurological sequelae. In general, hospital admission should be sought for myocardial ischemia, cardiac dysrhythmias, carboxyhemoglobin levels of more than 20%, or more than 10% in pregnancy, neurological signs and symptoms, metabolic acidosis, persisting symptoms despite several hours of 100% oxygen therapy or suicidal intent. It is advisable to contact the regional hyperbaric unit early in the process to determine suitability for hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Treatment criteria vary between centres, so it is worth referring promptly as the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen are best seen if administered early in the course of the poisoning. Neuropsychological testing and follow-up is also recommended. Pitfalls and recommendations. Unintentional carbon monoxide poisoning is a difficult clinical diagnosis owing to the nonspecific symptoms. It should be considered in patients with a vague, recurrent or prolonged symptomatology or when more than one household member is affected. History taking should focus on potential for exposure, for example, heating, ventilation and confined spaces. Oxygen saturation monitoring will be misleading. Carboxyhemoglobin levels must be taken to confirm both diagnosis and degree of hypoxia. 100% oxygen should be delivered regardless of oxygen saturation O2 readings. Therapy should not be titrated to the oxygen saturation level as this will result in underdosing. Early consultation with hyperbaric specialists is advised to determine course of management. Treatment thresholds are much lower in pregnancy given the risk to the fetus. Severity of toxicity will not necessarily correlate to carboxyhemoglobin levels. Treatment decisions should be based on the clinical syndrome. Carbon monoxide poisoning is preventable and treatable. Safe installation and servicing of appliances and ventilation systems can save lives. Thank you to Dr. David Cooper, Director of Hyperbaric Medicine at the Royal Hobart Hospital, Tasmania, for his contribution to this commentary. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast episode. Remember the online print versions are available at our website at www.thecommunicase.com which also include a list of resources and any reference that the experts recommended. I'm Nicola Cunningham. Thanks for listening.